The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. This is the Anxiety Bites Podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Panning. Now, before I tell you all about Dr. Panning, I guess I'll give you a little bit of a heads up about this episode. We talk about politics, and in specific, we talk about Donald Trump. Now, I want everyone who listens to this podcast to feel included. This is certainly not a political podcast. But there is an element to politics and how we consume media about politics being a cause for some of our anxiety. And there was a phenomenon where a lot of people who wouldn't label themselves as political started paying attention to politics after Trump got elected. And they also found themselves experiencing anxiety. So there is a connection And it's a conversation to be had. However, if you are a Donald Trump supporter and you don't want to sit around for the Trump bashing, which truly, in my humble opinion, I don't think it is, but 
I know we're really divided on this as a nation. I still think you can get a lot out of this episode by just thinking about, again, your relationship to the media you consume. What do we do when politics has caused us some anxiety? So that's just my little caveat, because this episode is different than a lot of the other ones, because we do talk about the real world. And not that anything else I've talked about isn't the real world, but you know what I'm saying. We also do discuss uh, the pandemic of 2020. I know it's still going on, but the initial lockdown of 2020 and how it changed all of our lives and how that caused and contributed to anxiety. And we talk about Dr. Panning's main career right now, which is working with students. And so we do segue into a conversation about what teenagers and young people are facing right now that is unique to their generation and some of the things about being young that is not unique to any generation and how you can support the young people in your life. So Dr. Jennifer Panning is the founder and president of the Mindful Psychology Associates PC. She's been an Illinois licensed clinical psychologist for 16 years. She received her doctor of psychology degree in clinical psychology from Chicago School of Professional Psychology in 2003. She completed trainings at Northwestern University Counseling and Psychological Services Center and Northern Illinois University Counseling and Student Development Center, developing her expertise in college student mental health. She has her private practice in Evanston, Illinois, which she has had since 2004. However, in 2017, she authored a chapter for the New York Times bestselling book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 27 Mental Health Experts Assess a President. Her contribution was entitled Trump Anxiety Disorder. And from coining that term, she was uh, that led her to being interviewed a lot, writing and speaking about the anxiety and fear amidst the existing sociopolitical climate. Dr. Panning has since been featured in New York Magazine, The Washington Post, Esquire, CBS News, and many more. So again, I talked to Dr. Panning today about, about all of this, how, you know, I have a theory that people who had anxiety before Trump became president maybe didn't talk about it. Maybe they weren't even aware that they had it. But everyone who was of the same political stripes bonding over the fact that they didn't want this man to be president, it felt more comfortable for them to say, oh, I have anxiety about the president. Oh, me too. Whereas before they wouldn't say, well, I have anxiety about how I feel I'm performing at work or if I'm a good parent to my kids. But it gave us a common language. Now, that's my theory. Dr. Panning will enlighten me more on what she thinks about that because I've read her credentials out loud to you and I don't have any of those credentials. I'm just, as I say, a dumb comedian. We talk about how the pandemic caused us anxiety and how a lot of people are continuing to languish despite things being semi back to normal or at least not in total lockdown here in America. And what will post-COVID life look like? I do have to give you a heads up. We did record this interview before the Delta variant was rampant in America. So if we ever sound hopeful or maybe even naive, like, do they not know about the Delta variant? We did not yet at the time of this recording. And again, we talk about her work with college students and what it's like to be young and have anxiety today, to, to not be able to draw on too much life experience and say, oh, I've been in this situation before. I'll be okay. Young people are at the beginning of their life journey and they need adults to help 
give them proper tools, and to validate how they feel as well. So I hope you enjoy my talk with Dr. Panning, and we'll catch you on the flip side of the interview with some takeaways that we got from Dr. Panning. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Panning. I know we have the first same first name, Jennifer. <laughs> we do. Yeah. You can call <laughs> me Jennifer. That's I'm, okay. Okay. Well, I might, but I like to be respectful. Okay. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you can call me Dr. Kirkman. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to have you on the show because you're you're really an expert in two areas. I know that your um, real, uh, I was going to say your real life as though you have an <laughs> alternate life. <laughs> your day-to-day practice, you are mm-hmm. uh, working with college students. Yes, I own a I own a group practice in Evanston, Illinois, which is one suburb north of Chicago. The practice is called Mindful Psychology Associates, and so um, I'm uh, I head it. And then we have eight other therapists, and we're hiring more therapists. So I started in private practice in 2004 in Evanston after doing my postdoctoral training at Northwestern University Counseling Center. So I've been working with college students for almost 20 years now. Mm. And and you also were part of a book that came out a mm-hmm. couple of years ago about President Trump. And, and I the name of that book was? The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 27 Mental Health Experts Assess the President. You coined the term Trump Anxiety Disorder. Is that yeah. that's true, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I had read an article at the beginning of Trump's presidency, and I have people in my life who I know that they're anxious. I can see it. Um, there's no way that I have anxiety and they don't, but they're in some <laughs> denial. But when Trump became president, it was almost actually a very freeing thing for them to start saying, I'm anxious because Trump is dot, dot, dot. Right. Give them permission to talk about it openly. So when when we talk about the many ways that Trump being president and the media and social media around Trump gave people anxiety, do you think, though, that some people had anxiety? in general, perhaps even generalized anxiety disorder already, and this just gave them a story to tell? Um, I don't think it gave a story to tell, but I do think people who had pre-existing anxiety disorders or a tendency towards anxiety were certainly more impacted by Trump than, than other people. Because you think about anxiety disorders, like the uncertainty and the unpredictability is a big component of anxiety, right? People who like to be in control, you know, because they think if, if I control my world, I will have, you know, my ability to feel calm and feel like I, you know, know what's coming next. Yeah. And Trump just blew all of that up, right? I mean, that is the biggest, I think, takeaway from his presidency was just the the chaos and the uncertainty and the, you know, day-to-day checking the news. What is he saying? What is he tweeting? What outlandish thing is happening next? Mm-hmm. So I think that people just really, you know, who were anxious before picked up on that. And it was really um, hard and traumatic for them to make sense of that. I think, you know, we see now like Biden is like a normal, boring president, right? I mean, a typical president in that we're not worrying, you know, what he's, he's doing on a daily basis with all these sort of outlandish, chaotic tweets and things like that. We kind of know he's doing presidential things as did Obama, as did Bush, I mean, all the, you know, typical presidents beforehand. So Trump was just a completely different um, president than we've ever had. And for for many of us, we struggled and suffered with how, like, how do we reconcile that? And how do we stay grounded with all this chaos and uncertainty happening? Well, it's interesting that you say, you know, we, we all say this, Biden's boring, thank God. 
But -hmm. I think it's funny because you know, um, as a doctor, that boring is really not the opposite of chaos, right? You know, it's it's more like content would be Mm -hmm. the opposite of chaos. I mean, obviously, without getting like too deep into politics about it all, Mm -hmm. but if if we want to look at it very basically, the man who was on social media all day and who did have the the you know key to the nuclear football, yes, he's he's not there. So technically, on one level, a lot has dissipated just because of that. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. we have a whole other world with conspiracy theorists going on, and we still always have to fight for our democracy yes. no matter what. But the the big head has been cut off the the hydra. So. Mm-hmm. Does that just mean the anxiety goes away for people that just developed anxiety because of Trump? I mean, that can't be true, right? Are they left with PTSD? Are they, what do they do? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people who are both grateful for this, you know, let's say maybe boring, but traditional, like a traditional president, right? A typical president, American president, where he's working behind the scenes. There's, you know, we're seeing things like the vaccine rollouts. We're seeing all these things happening. But we're not hearing him brag about it or, you know, talk about it in outlandish ways. So, you know, I think we are coming down. I mean, the other thing that, you know, obviously in terms of when you look at Trump's presidency back in the early um, days of it in 2017, but this little past year, we had this confluence of anxiety pr- producing factors. We had the pandemic. We had the politicized part of the pandemic. We had George Floyd's murder, the resulting protests, um, the just, you know, racial tension that was kind of out in the, uh, in our direct, uh, we, we couldn't avoid it anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, still going on with, with the pandemic, um, people were, were sick and all sorts of things that came together, right? And Trump is, you know, obviously was in that mix. But for people who struggle with anxiety and just people, in general, uh, this past year has increased anxiety and mental health has deteriorated across the board, across America. And we, you know, you can find statistics all over the place that talk about how much depression and anxiety symptoms have increased this past year and how much, um, in particular, you know, young adults are, are struggling. And so I think, you know, I look at it as this just layered issue in terms of there was so much going on and so much uncertainty. You know, there were so many parts of this and still the pandemic is not over, but we're still coming down from all of this. And I don't think we're going to see the psychological emotional impact until later this year, or possibly into 2022, because you think about it, you know, we're, we've been on survival mode because yeah. we had to, right? And you think about like we, I've talked a lot about um, the phases of the pandemic, right? The this is kind of like a slumber party and we're all in it together phase. And then the, oh my gosh, we're not, this isn't going to be gone by summer. And the, you know, trying to juggle kids and remote learning and all sorts of uncertainty in terms of both, as you said, like the conspiracy theory is still going on and also really confusing information that was changing quite rapidly. We're still figuring that out in terms of psychologically having to survive that and having to be on a sort of day-to-day adrenaline fueled trying to understand how to how to be safe but that's going to take a while to really come down from that because humans are not designed for long-term trauma and crisis we're 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 designed for short-term you know crisis you think about you know with um our fight or flight system that's designed for like short-term running away from a threat as humans our brains and our bodies are not designed for long-term threat assessment so 
we're exhausted. We're feeling just sort of, you know, kind of languishing and not feeling great. And that's part of this process of coming down from such an intensely exhausting time in our history. It's interesting you said languishing. I, I did read an article in the New York Times recently that said we were languishing. And, you know, I never really understood what that word meant. I confuse it with luxuriating. <laughs> and and languishing, you know, as I just came to learn means, you know, that feeling of why do I wake up in the morning and just look at mm -hmm. social media and I, I can't really start my day and I'm just, but it's not enjoyable. It's not leisure, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I'm fully vaccinated and I went and flew home to see my family. I live in California. They live in Massachusetts and I hadn't seen them in 16 months. It was so normal that I remember thinking it, it really was like, oh, I should have saw them yesterday. Oh, this is normal. There was yeah. There was zero feeling that 2020 had ever happened. Do you think that what I'm describing is sort of feeling like it never happened is some kind of trauma response? Absolutely. And in my practice, what I'm seeing a lot of is people's anxieties around going back to pre-COVID life, right? And what does that look like? You know, will I still feel connected to my family and my friends? Like, I think that is definitely a trauma response. And, you know, something I've been talking a lot about with people, it's like, okay, all your feelings make total sense. You're, you know, we're getting back to normal, but we're not really normal. You know, that, I mean, that just is where we're at right now in terms of, of uh, in our country. Yeah. And things will feel normal. And, you know, I, what I will often talk about with clients is like, okay, remember that shift <laughs> that we had to make in March, 2020, how everything changed. People working from home, people who were in school were going to Zoom classes, like everything changed pretty drastically within that month. This re-entry into society is not going to feel as extreme as that because it will be kind of the sense like what you're talking about, like having to sort through all this. And then at some point we will feel a little more settled and safe with celebrations. Like we will have grief in terms of, you know, remembering like, oh, wow, the, you know, graduation last year, my son graduated from eighth grade last year and it was like a drive-through graduation and they did the best they could with you yeah, know, you could do during COVID, but there were so many events that people were canceled, that missed out on, that had to dramatically change. And so I think when we re-fall back into um, society, things like, you know, holidays or weddings or graduations or milestone birthdays, we mm -hmm. may have some grief coming up remembering like, wow, this feels so good. And we missed, you know, a lot of this in the year plus that we were in, in lockdown. We'll be right back after this quick message from one of our sponsors. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So as you're working with college students, can you just tell me about what, what they're mm-hmm. experiencing and, and how it is uh, kind of the same as it ever was and maybe even a little bit different for this generation? Yeah. So a little backstory. I mean, college student mental health has been deteriorating for probably about 10 years. And we just kind of see 
year after year that more students are struggling, that more reaching out for, you know, to their counseling centers or the universities, and they can't keep up with the demand and therapists often aren't able to keep up with the demand for services. So they are able to Google symptoms, but they also talk openly about therapy. You know, they're, they're like sharing their tips from, you know, their therapists with their friends. They're, there's not a stigma about going to therapy as this like really weird, you know, bad uh, sign. I think they see it as more healthy and a, a positive thing. So that is, you know, kudos That's great. to the generation of being able to <laughs> see this as a healthy. And I think their parents often are more educated around you know, seeing therapy and mental health services as a proactive way to to get support. Um, so, you know, that is sort of the bigger picture that the issue around college student mental health has been deteriorating for years, year after year. Um, and the pandemic just continued to kind of blow that apart. When you think about so college student development in terms of their like psychological, emotional tasks during college is to separate from their families of origin and develop their own identity, right? To start that process of separating from, you know, what they were in their family unit and figuring out who am I on my own and independently, you know, of my family or of other expectations that people might have for me. So when you think about that, I mean, a lot of college students, you know, they're living on their own. They were, you know, doing their thing with their friends, with their activities and all of that came to a halt. I mean, for many college students, you know, the dorms shut down, they had to go back and live with their parents all of a sudden and their parents were home, you know, as well, mostly. So yeah. I mean, just being able to shift from being on your own with friends, with your community, and then being with parents. And, you know, for some, it was just kind of a, you know, bummer, like, oh, I've got to be around my folks again. But for some people, there are certainly more, you know, unsafe living environments, um, yeah. things that were more traumatic in terms of family stress and very unsafe living environment. So there's always, you know, levels of, of distress with things like that. My mom's 82 and she was saying, I lost a year of my life. I mean, I could die anytime. I'm 82. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. well, I'm 47 and I'm single and I, I'm about to go into menopause and I have more wrinkles now and I should be out there dating. And, you know, everyone thinks their age is the worst to be yeah. stuck at home and lose, quote, a year of their life. But I mean, honestly, it probably is the kid who is getting ready to go back to college or go to college for the first mm -hmm. time that that disappointment of I, when do I start my life? I mean, at least yeah. an example of my mom and me, we have a whole life to look back on that we've lived. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how, you know, it, it, it seems like it, that could be very uh, almost too much to handle. Like how would they mm -hmm. even soothe themselves or feel a sense of hope that must rob them of hope? Yes. I mean, you know, I work a lot of Northwestern university students, which is where my, my practice is located. And they had a commencement last year, but it was like, it was over Zoom. And this year they're doing something. It's kind of like a tacked on to the 2021 graduation. So it's like they're getting a little taste of it, but it's not the same, you know, and a lot of people, what we saw last year, a lot of people weren't able to say goodbye to professors, to friends, to their community who are graduating. And they had to just kind of deal with that process in a very different way than the traditional like closure of, you know, having celebrations, having last you know, gatherings of, of friends, being able to have a celebration of accomplishments, but like a goodbye to these people and these communities that they've been been in for four years. So I think there is some, you know, loss and grief. And I, I anticipate that that will continue to come up for certain people with seeing perhaps younger friends graduate and just missing that they, they didn't have that experience. 
How do you handle, you know, so for me growing up with anxiety my whole life, so I'm in college, I have anxiety, I'm, I'm having panic attacks, my teachers don't know it. Some of them accused me of being on drugs because I was acting so weird. And, but at the end of the day, once I figured out what my anxiety was, mm-hmm. for me, um, it was the very classic, like not understanding that my fight or flight was kicking in. And yeah, for a lot of uh, my anxiety was phobias. So everything I learned about my anxiety was, hey, you know what? Everything I have anxiety about isn't really real, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a relief. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I had anxiety as a kid. I grew up during the 80s. I thought we were going to get nuked every five minutes. You know? uh, yes. <laughs> so there was that as well. And that was very real. And that dissipated once, you know, we sort of, didn't nuke anyone or get nuked, you know? mm-hmm. but then my anxiety became more phobic. But how do you deal? And how, what do you say to students who are anxious about very real mm-hmm. things? I mean, the world climate change is worse now than it was when I was in college. You know, yeah. um, there there are actual terrible things. You can't tell them it's fight or flight or a phobia. No. So so how do you help them? Right, it'd be invalidating to tell somebody, oh, this is irrational, right? Because yeah. they're their fears and their anxieties around the pandemic, around being isolated, around this job market, climate crisis, um, racial injustice, everything is legit and real. And Trump, you know, in terms of what we went through with, with that presidency. So I think when, what I come down to with um, those situations is like, okay, where do you have control, right? Mm. Because a lot of anxiety is when we feel out of control. Um, and so, you know, what, what do you have control over? Is it, you know, your, yourself? Is it, you know, your, um, your abilities to how you spend your time, how, what media you consume, um, connections that you make with other people, relationships, all that. So being able to help people understand, you know, and validate, like, yeah, it's really scary to, you know, think about the world, um, the state of the world and the real issues that we're, we're facing. And if you stay in that place too long, you're probably going to be just like curled up in a ball uh, and unable to function because it's just too much. And, you know, that emotional reasoning and part of the brain will just start going off and people will start feeling just a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. And that's not going to be really that helpful for that person. So in that way, it's like, you know, talking about things that they have control over and also ways to cope with that stress. I mean, you know, exercise, like being able to release some of that physiological stress is so important. And, you know, I kind of, I sometimes tease my clients. I'm like, I know your therapist is telling you to exercise. <laughs> like, you know, that's so difficult. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's physiological reasons why that is helpful because we need to be able to release, you know, that emotion and that physiological stress being outside, you know, being able to be in nature. There's so many studies around like the benefits of being around green trees and how that relaxes our our brains because we're able to have there's patterns in nature that we don't have you know in our computer screens and so some of the basics you know coming back to those basics are people sleeping enough are they eating enough how much are they using on their smartphone because we know you know logically how much that can be damaging because we read something that is a real threat um, but we can unfortunately activate our fight or flight system and all of a sudden we're worrying about the world again. And so it's not naive to be able to protect ourselves, to be able to have some sense of calm and connection. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it, it sounds like, I mean, we all know what people can do for anxiety, right? 
breathing exercises mm-hmm. and thought stopping and all that yeah. therapy stuff. But yeah. it sounds like honestly, underneath it all, what you're saying is like, you're not saying it like this, but get a life. And I mean that in the best mm-hmm. way, like <laughs> have a big life, yeah. you know? And I do think there, I think social media has exacerbated this, this sense of if we're not aware every second of how terrible everything is, mm-hmm. we're not a good enough citizen. We're not a good enough liberal. We're not a good enough, whatever. And when I've talked to younger people, a lot of them have accused me of being a little more chill in my forties. Oh, you must be rich. You must have everything all figured mm. out. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm actually just in acceptance of the uncertainty, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I cannot, we cannot come together on the two generations. I cannot convince them that it's just as scary at 47 to not know what's yeah. going on as it is at 17. But I think the one thing that really I have learned getting older is that you know, it's, it's, it's everything you said, what do I have control over? And I don't mean to be flippant, but I have a big inner life as well. You know, a spiritual Mm -hmm. life, a a sense that I'm not just this material world. I'm not just a citizen of America. I'm also a soul. And I like to dance and sing, you know, around Mm -hmm. my apartment, of course, but you know, things like that, where it's like, it doesn't seem important, but it is kind of the point of life, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and, uh, I think these generations are a little bit further from that than mine was, you know, mm-hmm. maybe because I'm old enough touch. I, I worry, are they having fun? Are young people having fun? You know, that's an interesting point. I was talking about this yesterday, actually. So we know like the young people are not taking as many risks as our generation. And there's some good things about that, right? They're having less sex. They're having fewer relationships, dating relationships. Uh, they're not like driving as early. They're not experimenting as much with substances like there's some good things about all of that right in terms of being cautious thoughtful etc but then there's also some learning that they miss out on right i mean you know think about like dating normally you know people go through some dating experiences that aren't so great because then they learn about who they are and what they're looking for in a partner and that's very helpful information so I see some of the young adults and I think, you know, the pendulum has swung. I'm, you know, I'm 46 and I remember my parents dropping me off at college like, hey, good luck. I'll talk to you in a week, right? That was parenting back then. It was very kind of hands off and um, a little distant. And now the pendulum has swung way in the extreme of the other way. And sometimes I worry about the young adults not having built up some of those skills to cope with like daily, you know, stressors on their mm-hmm. own volition. You know, they're they're able to text parents or other people right away if they're feeling some feelings instead of maybe just sitting with those feelings and kind of thinking, what do I want to do with this? You know? Yeah, sitting with feelings. You know, it's interesting. I I found a bunch of letters, a big box of letters that my friends and I had sent each other in college. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends and I were were at different colleges and we would write letters. Yeah. And, you know, there was a obviously no internet, no cell phones and kids out there listening. If (laughs) if your friend was in college in Colorado and you were in Boston, that was a long distance call. Nobody had that money. So you wrote letters. People were sitting down writing with pen and paper, which Mm -hmm. I know studies have shown gets you connected to your feelings, calms, calms you down. So these little things that we, I wasn't sitting there going, Oh, I'm helping my nervous system. But but we naturally did things every day Mm -hmm. that actually de-stressed and calmed our nervous systems and made us sit with our feelings. It takes an hour to write a long letter. Mm -hmm. 
you know, um, it takes five seconds to send an emoji on a text. And I, I, again, anyone listening, I know I sound like the old lady, but I'm, I'm doing it too. Now I don't write letters anymore. I send a smiley face. Like I'm 10, right. We can't like get rid of technology and give everyone a pen, but in a weird way, it's like, it's hard for them to, I think, believe when you say exercise or journal, Yeah, because that wasn't a part of life every day. You know, it seems Mm -hmm. like just some crap someone's making up. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, we, we know, like we need to wander and we need to be able to have time just to like be creative. Right. And just like, I like to putter around my house, right. On like a Saturday morning, just have my coffee. And and that's when I think about things and resolve things and, you know, uh, think about ideas and such. And so I think, you know, those simple things are not always, um, encouraged because we do have so much of that access to technology uh, that's immediate and always there. It's chronic. And so yeah, I think this generation being able to be uh, be outside, take a walk, you know, being able to not have their phones connected to them 24 seven. Mm-hmm. I have a 12 and a 15 year old and, you know, well, I was like, all right, we're doing an activity today. <laughs> the activity is going to the forest preserve and taking a walk with our dog basic stuff because you know during COVID we couldn't do much more than that but you know the rules were like no phones no Mm -hmm. technology we were just gonna hang out and notice what we could see around us and that was it right and I think there is something really important about that that's when our brain relaxes and kind of lets go a little bit and we notice things that are interesting you know it's like yeah like look at that really huge tree and that beautiful, you know, those leaves that look like they've been there for thousands of years. How long has that tree been there? You know, just things that we can really immerse ourselves in. Mm-hmm. That's great too. When you mentioned like an old tree, you know, even something that gives you the sense of, oh, okay. So earth has been here longer than me. It'll probably be here long mm-hmm. after me. I'm just yeah. a part in this universe. I know some people don't like that, but for me, the smaller I can think of myself is very comforting. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to solve the world's problems. In 10 years, we will be through this completely. Mm-hmm. There might be something else going on, but we will be able to look in the rearview mirror at this time in the past and say like, oh, this is what I remember. These are the things I, I took from that. And we'll also probably honestly minimize some of the stress and the anxiety. Look back at, I don't know, World War II or you know different very, very stressful times in our country's history. I think people have had to minimize how really stressful and awful it was just living through that that time. Absolutely. (laughs) Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if you, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. You know, I have a quick story for you about my parents, which is going to lead me to a question about parenting. And then I have one last question for you and I'll let you go. Thank you for taking so much time with me today. Um, So when I was uh, 19 and in college, my fear mm-hmm. of flying was out of control. I, I had uh-huh. only flown about once a year, every year with my parents. We'd fly from 
Boston to Florida, go to Disney World. So I'd only flown about five times, 10 times, if you count that it's a round trip. Mm-hmm. And I had panic attacks on planes since I was eight. And at, mm-hmm. and at one point at age 14, I said, the anxiety from the flight is not worth the one week of fun in Disney World. I'm not flying anymore. My parents said, okay, and we didn't go. And I got to college and I didn't do any of the trips abroad that were offered mm-hmm. through my school because I was afraid to fly. And, you know, my parents are, they're not boomers, they're older, they're silent generations. So mm-hmm. my parents' attitude, honestly, was more like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have no advice about anything. I don't have any expectations. I don't have any Mm -hmm. advice. So in a way, I think that was helpful because they also had no judgment, if that makes sense. Yeah. They just kind of accepted it for what it was. Yeah. But they didn't try to fix or help. But then one day my mom said, you know, there's a fear of flying course at the Boston Logan Airport. You might Mm want to look into it. And they paid for it. And my fear of flying was so bad that I also had a fear of driving in it. And once I got close to the airport and saw the planes, I would panic. So I couldn't go alone. So once a week, my dad drove me to the class and it was taught by a very old school Boston therapist who smoked cigarettes <laughs> in the building because you could mm-hmm. back then, yeah. drank coffee during class and was very irreverent and funny. And um, my dad loved the class. He allowed my dad to sit in on it. So long story short, he gave us these tapes that we had to listen to every night. And mm-hmm. basically what we were doing was a relaxation response body yeah. scan and I loved it. So I'd lay on the living room floor and listen to the tapes and my parents would get on the floor and do it with me. (laughs) Uh There was no parenting class they took or be supportive. But what I look back and realize is they didn't act like I had anxiety and it was something weird and different. So Mm -hmm. is there anything uh, accidentally great about what my parents did in the sense of like, what do you say to parents whose teenagers have anxiety? How can they help them? Yeah, man, I love that story. Because I think what they did was they very indirectly, like, made you feel like, okay, this is just something that's going on. And, you know, we're going to help you through it and be there for you and do whatever, you know, we can do to to address it. And it was indirect, right? And yeah. so I joke, I have a 15 year old son, we have the best conversations when we're in the car and I'm driving and he's in the passenger seat because there's no eye contact, right? And so for teenagers, that's like too much. They don't like eye contact. So we can talk really freely when there's not that pressure of the eye contact. Um, so, you know, I think with parents, yeah, like just being real. I, I mean, I think one of the, generation, one of the generational improvements um, in parents is certainly an openness to talk about feelings, to talk about depression, anxiety, to talk about scary things. And talk about that openly, um, you know, and I know that's not true across the board, but I just think in terms of parents that I know, like we are really good at validating feelings and talking about, you know, how our kids are doing and, and really being open to listening to what they're, what they're going through. You know, it sounds really basic, but I think a lot of it is like, show your teenagers that you care and like that you're not yeah. shaming them or judging them or telling them what to do. Um, I had this incident with my 12 year old daughter. She was talking about mean girls at school. And I, of course, got into like mom bear mode. I was like, oh, this, you know, really making me mad that she's going through this. And I said, do you need me just to listen or do you want me to like help you figure this out? She goes, I just need you to listen. And so she went on and on. Just was, I was like, oh, that's so hard and terrible. And I hate that for you when you're experiencing that. And then at the end, I was like, do you need any more support or, you know, how are you feeling? Yeah. No, I'm feeling good. I just needed to like let it out. And so parents, I think, you know, if anything, we're over parenting or like a little over involved um, yeah. right now in our stage of, of this parenting generation. And so like 
our kids don't need us to fix them. They just need us to listen and to care and to be open to hearing what they're thinking. That's great advice because, you know, I, I think that that's what a lot of couples therapy advice is too, right? Like yeah. sometimes your partner just wants you to listen. And so it's like, well, yeah, our kids, our kids, I have no kids, but parenting and parents and children, it's a relationship like any other. And from our generation of how we were parented, many of us were either invalidated. It's like, why are you feeling like that? What's that about? Shame to feeling emotions, shut down, mm-hmm. told to get over it, like those types of things. And so I think, you know, the other end of that is just not not going to the fixing because that might be opposite of what we experienced, but going to just being open and listening and, and caring and, you know, figuring out with them and like collaborating. With, I mean, teens really want to be respected, you know, because they're used to being told what to do. They're used yeah. to being treated like they don't know anything. And so for teens, it's really important for them to feel like a sense of, okay, mom and dad, you know, respect me and they value my opinion and like how to navigate that. And, you know, it sounds kind of simplistic, but I, I think that's really like the foundation of being able to help teens. Well, it does sound simplistic, but I know that if I take that and really internalize it, it is hard sometimes to respect people younger than you because yeah. you kind of a little bit, you know, their future, you know, where they're going to change. You may not know what they're going to like or dislike right. as they get older or where they're going to live. But, you know, in general, one day they'll look back and go, oh, why did I worry so much about blah, blah, blah. Like, it's mm-hmm. hard to kind of know a little bit of the future and not try to live it for them or speed them through it, you know? Yeah. And so is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would love to to say to anyone listening, um, teenagers with anxiety, people anxious about the state of the world, just anything that I didn't cover? Yeah, you know, I think I think we do have to remember the perspective. We will get through this and emotionally things will will feel better because we're back to our our normal routines. And there's so much help available out there. I think that's the awesome part of the internet in terms of uh obviously therapists. I mean, telehealth, um, we're still as a practice all working from home because it's the safest thing to do right now. So telehealth has improved access to therapy, you know. People can just take an hour of their day and be in their living room and <laughs> see their therapist through through Zoom. So, you know, the accessibility to therapy, um, there's so many, you know, great self-help books and different models of therapy that are specific to people dealing with anxiety and depression. There's a lot of resources out there. And it's okay to also not know where to start and to know, like, you know, part of it's just kind of figuring out what, what fits for that person, right? So very individualized. And, you know, that's part of like, well, we talk about themes and talk about, you know, suggestions and things like that. I never really know, like what will really resonate with one person will be very different um, based on each individual. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Dr. Jennifer Panning. And here's some takeaways, some things to remember. Uncertainty and unpredictability is a big component of anxiety. People with anxiety mistakenly think if I can control my world, I will have my ability to feel calm and feel like I know what's coming up next. For people with anxiety, 2020's pandemic and political situations increased anxiety and mental health statistically has deteriorated across the board. Now that might sound upsetting, but the one silver lining is that you are not alone. Humans are designed for short-term crisis, not long-term crisis like we've experienced since 2020 and the start of the pandemic. 
So again, if you are asking yourself, well, why don't I feel better? You're not alone and you're very normal. An important part of young people differentiating from their family is the ability to ask themselves the questions, who am I on my own and independently of my family or of other expectations that people might have for me? Grief, seemingly out of nowhere, may now come up for students who didn't have a normal graduation experience in 2020. Now, if the world is stressing you out and you don't have control over the world, ask yourself, where do you have control? Is it how you spend your time? What media are you consuming? What connections are you making with other people? Exercise can release the physiological and psychological stress that we have, and it's a cliche because it's true. Take a walk. Being in nature, not looking at our phone, actually benefits our brain. Take a walk. Before you sit around worrying what your diagnosis is, get back to basics. Are you sleeping enough? Are you eating enough? How much are you on your phone? All of that can affect your fight or flight syndrome. And don't be afraid to get a life. You're allowed to have some fun even with everything going on. Nobody needs you to be a 24-7 vigilante, constantly checking Twitter, making sure you know every single person that's suffering in the world. You're allowed to take that walk in nature, put your phone down, connect with your friends, and enjoy your life. Thanks for listening to Anxiety Bites. We'll be back next week. I promise no politics next week. Anxiety Bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest 
to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with the season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.